Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. For the first few years after the September 11th attacks, The area around the World Trade Center was generally known to us as Ground Zero, the spot where the worst terror attacks against our nation took place. But as we all know, the horror on that day extended well beyond New York City, first with the plane crash into the Pentagon. It literally felt like the entire building lifted off of the foundation. And then, in a field in western Pennsylvania where Flight 93 slammed into the earth. What happened out in this field in Pennsylvania was equally as horrific um, and uh, no less important. It, it's, uh, and sometimes it is mentioned almost like an afterthought. This week on 880 In-Depth, we will hear about the attack on the Pentagon from two hero service members who lived through it. How are they feeling as this 20th anniversary arrives? And we will also take you on a trip to Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and introduce you to a reporter there whose coverage on 9-11 that day hit close to home. And there was um, a, a message on my answering machine, and as I hit the button, it was my dad calling and, um, you know, he said, I don't know if you've seen any of the video um, of, of the crash site of Flight 93. He goes, but those hemlock trees are ours. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Sheld. here in New York focus so much of our attention on this anniversary on what happened here in New York City and that's understandable but on the morning of September 11th with the Twin Towers burning in Manhattan a third hijacked plane slammed into the nerve center of the U.S. Department of Defense retired U.S. Army Major General Byron Bagby remembers that day well I will never forget the events that took place 20 years ago on September 11th of 2001. That's what I'm thinking, Tim. And for me, the attack was personal. As an American citizen who happened to be a uniformed military officer and working at the Pentagon on that day, this attack for me was personal. When the attack began in New York, General Bagby was already hours into his workday at the Pentagon. At that time, Tim, I was a colonel. I was serving as the executive assistant 
to one of the Army's three-star primary staff directors. My day began like any other in the office about 5.30 in the morning and would usually get off about 9 on most days. And we'd gone through our morning updates, and we learned that a hijacked aircraft had struck the North World Trade Tower. We didn't think a lot about it at that time, Tim, because it may have been fog in lower Manhattan and a lot of air traffic coming out of JFK, Newark, and LaGuardia. But uh, a few minutes later, the South World Trade Tower was uh, uh, struck by a hijacked aircraft. At this point, it had our undivided attention. And uh, a little after 9.30 that morning, Tim, my superior and I were standing in his office watching CNN and the attack on the South World Trade Tower. And we were talking about how lucky we were that hadn't happened in the Pentagon with 27,000 workers, 40,000 commuters passing through every day on the subway and on buses. And a few minutes later, we heard a loud blast, and we felt this large building called the Pentagon shake. And we thought it was a truck bomb initially, and uh, later learned that it was another hijacked aircraft that had struck the, the southwest corner of the Pentagon. Major General Bagby remembers working to help evacuate the building and hours later account for all those within his unit. That process lasted well into the next morning, and sadly, among those killed at the Pentagon that day were two service members within his command unit. It was difficult, Tim, and with our two deceased service members, my superior determined that he would notify the officer's uh, wife of her husband's death And he asked me to notify the next of kin of the sergeant that passed away. I took with me on that notification, Tim, a chaplain and a sergeant who knew the deceased. And by military policy at that time, the sergeant's official next of kin was her six-year-old daughter. And Tim, I have never done anything harder in my entire life. I'd made notifications in the past, uh, but they were all to adults, parents, spouses, or siblings. But for me to notify a six-year-old that her mother was deceased, for me, was extraordinarily hard. And I think that what got to me most is I'm not sure if she really understood what our team was telling her at six years old. I don't think I would recognize that when I was six years old, but Tim, by far, Notifying that young lady that her mom was deceased is the hardest thing that I have done in my entire life. Sir, we, we spend um, you know, most of our time here in New York uh, and um, you know, rightfully so focused on the World Trade Center, our community, the, the lives lost, the damage done, the impact, the human impact, the human toll, the physical toll. Uh, we never forget the Pentagon. It's always uh, on our minds. It's part of the memorial at the uh, uh, at the World Trade Center. The names of those who were lost at the Pentagon uh, are on uh, the wall there at the fountains in New York City. But it does seem that the Pentagon uh, tends to get short shrift. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but it's it it it, it tends to be uh, an afterthought. And and I'm wondering what you think about that. I would tend to agree with you, Tim. Uh, On July 4th of 2002, my wife and I went to an Independence Day event near the U.S. Capitol. 
it was a performance of uh, speakers and patriotic music. And during the event, Tim, the master of ceremony talked about the horror of what happened in New York City on 911. I don't recall him missing the Pentagon once in that two-hour performance, even though the U.S. Capitol is about four miles from the Pentagon. I don't recall him mentioning that once. And my wife made that comment to me. Um, so I, I do think that even though we had 184 people who perished at the Pentagon, I do think that most of the focus on 911 that I've seen the past 20 years has been on what happened in, at the lower Manhattan and the World Trade Towers. What would you like us to be thinking about 20 years later with respect to what happened at the Pentagon that day? What I would convey to you and your listening audience, Tim, is that the 184 people who perished at the Pentagon that morning were not nameless, faceless people. They were parents, grandparents, siblings, aunts, uncles, friends, and neighbors. The death of the 184 who died at the Pentagon probably affected more than 100,000 people, directly or indirectly. But I think that those who perished at the Pentagon um, should receive the same amount of uh, focus as those from New York City. But those who perished were not just numbers. They had families. They had friends. They had classmates. And the second thing I will tell you, Tim, is that this terrorist attack was a national crucible for our nation. And I think it helped unite our nation because within an hour of the attack happening, there were clergy from every faith imaginable that came to the Pentagon to perform last rites and help provide counsel to those who may have been affected in some way. And there were emergency medical teams and other first responders from around uh, the Washington, D.C. area that responded to provide their services. And so I think that even though this attack was uh, a national crucible, it helped to bring our nation together for a common cause. I really appreciate your time, General. It's a, it's, it was an honor and a pleasure to talk to you. That sounds great, Tim. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Like General Bagby, retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Ted Anderson remembers the morning of September 11th like it was yesterday. Stationed at the Pentagon as a legislative affairs officer, he recalls watching in horror as the World Trade Center Twin Towers burned on live television. Suddenly his phone rang. It was his then wife, a sixth grade teacher in North Carolina looking for help in explaining the horror unfolding to her students. And she called me um, right after the, the plane had hit the second tower here in New York. And um, she was live with her students uh, all in the background listening as I'm trying to describe to these kids what a coordinated attack was and, and um, you know we did not know what, what was going on but please don't ever jump to conclusions because the last time we jumped to a conclusion it was actually homegrown terrorism and it was in uh, Oklahoma and no sooner than I said that no sooner than I finished my sentence um, the airplane hit our building it literally felt like the entire building lifted off of the foundation and, and slammed back down. 
I mean, I was so shocked at, at the at the concussion uh, of it all. Um, it, it was just, it was remarkable. Ted Anderson has been honored as a hero for rescuing co-workers at the Pentagon that day. Anderson helped many people evacuate. He led many of the injured outside of the building to safety. And in one case, helped free a woman inside who was pinned beneath a heavy file cabinet. Ted Anderson was a true American hero that day, so you may be surprised to hear him say... I'm not proud of anything that occurred on 9-11, anything that I was a part of. I'm not proud of any of that because I always saw that as mission failure, uh, not, not being able to get the people out. Firefighters had arrived, and those emergency responders ordered Ted Anderson and other Pentagon workers to stand down. It literally had to hold them back from running back inside the burning building. Ted Anderson and I met up recently here in New York at the World Trade Center site. I had interviewed him 19 years ago while working on the year anniversary. I looked him up again because I will never forget what he told me about the day after the attacks at the Pentagon. What was so moving about the 12th is that um, you had about 18,000 people report to work in a burning building because... A, we were at war. B, their battle station was inside the Pentagon. And, and C, um, they did not have to be called to work. They showed up voluntarily. So to be a part of that, I always thought was overwhelming. Today... The names of those who died at the Pentagon that day, those from inside the building, and those who were on Flight 77 are forever etched along the South Tower Fountain at the World Trade Center. And may we never forget them. And may we never forget the heroes of Flight 93. By all accounts, They knew terrorists had flown planes into the World Trade Center and Pentagon that day. They knew that if they did not act, their plane would become the next terror tool, very likely in the nation's capital. But as we now know, those aboard Flight 93 attacked the cockpit. They fought the hijackers, and the plane dove from the sky into a farm field in western Pennsylvania. Shanksville from New York City is uh, just over 300 miles. Our reporter Sean Adams took a trip there weeks ago to see what Shanksville looks like today. Uh, You travel out uh, across beautiful pastoral lands in Pennsylvania. You uh, go through the Allegheny Mountains uh, and then you uh, get off of the Pennsylvania Turnpike and you follow some winding country roads it's, it's hilly country out there. Uh, and then you get to the site. The site is off the road uh, a few miles. Um, and the first thing that you happen upon when you enter the property, and this is relatively new, is a tower that has 40 wind chimes. One wind chime for each passenger killed on Flight 93. And uh, 
the area is known to be windy. There are actually, you'll pass some wind turbines uh, on the way in, and uh, the day I was there, there was no wind, but uh, it's supposed to be a very moving tribute to have these these echoes out there in this open field. And then you drive into the property, uh, it's probably about two miles in, and you come to the visitor center, and the visitor center sits atop a hill, and there's a walkway, and at first I didn't understand the significance of the walkway. The walkway comes out to, uh, it ends, it's like a promenade at the, uh, at the end of the, the, the bluff, and then it drops down to the field where the crash actually occurred. That walkway is in line with the flight path of Flight 93, and the visitor center is quite moving. The National Park Service has exhibits there, uh, interpretive uh, uh, exhibits, uh, they do have um, artifacts that were recovered from the field. They have uh, information about September 11th, the timeline, what happened, what happened with Flight 93, uh, what happened on board, uh, the fact that passengers uh, had time to make phone calls, to get information, to talk to loved ones, to talk amongst themselves, make the decision that they were going to fight back. And uh, that's what led to the the uh, ultimate crash. Pretty peaceful place, isn't it? Incredibly beautiful. I was uh, quite taken with the natural beauty of it. This was uh, an abandoned uh, strip mine. It was uh, the field itself was uh, you know coal was dug out of the ground there. So it was basically a barren patch of land, bordered by groves of trees. The National Park Service has reclaimed this old strip mine and uh, replanted this once barren field with wildflowers. All vibrant colors come to life, uh, just uh, almost like a Monet painting. And then you're greeted on all sides by the sweet sound of songbirds, just chirping and singing. So it's a very peaceful place. And I think that was, that was the point. The point was to reclaim... Uh, the spot where something so horrible happened and to make it peaceful and uh, because it is the final resting place for the passengers of uh, Flight 93. When you followed the road around to the bottom of the field, there's a walkway, there's a wall that prevents you from going to the actual impact zone. That is reserved for family members only. If you follow that wall, it leads to another wall of stone slabs with the names etched in them. Uh, It was quite emotional when I looked at one of the names, and then it also said uh, that that passenger, uh, she and her unborn child, she was pregnant. That wall also mirrors the flight path, the final flight path, and then it ends at a gate, and then beyond in the field, there's a large sandstone boulder that marks the impact zone, and that uh, the significance of that is that that sandstone boulder was excavated during the mining. So to represent the past of this property, that's what is the final monument of the impact zone. And then just beyond, there's a grove of hemlock trees. And when the plane came in, it came in very fast. It came in inverted, uh, belly up, and crashed. And uh, it just disintegrated into... Uh, little pieces very little was uh the largest piece recovered was maybe six feet 
but a lot of those pieces just flew in every direction into that grove of hemlock trees. The fuel ignited a fire and burned a section of uh, the trees there. And that's where a lot of the uh, investigation had to take place. Sean Adams was one of the reporters who bravely covered the World Trade Center attacks in New York City on 9-11. That cloud of toxic dust chased him along with countless others right out of lower Manhattan that morning. On his visit to Shanksville, Sean connected with a Pennsylvania reporter who had his own 9-11 story. Meet Tim Lambert. And on the way into work, I remember hearing about a plane that had gone down in near Shanksville, Somerset County, um, and it sort of hit in my brain that my dad grew up in Shanksville, um, and he might know some people um, in that area that I could maybe call later and find out what exactly was going on. And then a little bit later on in the afternoon, you know, it was just the chaos of the day, um, I looked up at the television in the newsroom, and there was a reporter who was standing on the corner of the Shanksville-Lambertsville Road. And at that point, um, a lot of the coverage about Flight 93 has been, uh, was that it crashed in a reclaimed strip mine. But when I saw where that reporter was standing, I, it dawned on me that we still own 163 acres in near Shanksville, and it was near that intersection. Uh, so my antenna went up, um, and then I just sort of went on with my day, covered a prayer vigil, and I didn't get home until about uh, 1.30 in the morning on September 12th to my Gettysburg apartment. And there was um, a, a message on my answering machine. And as I hit the button, it was my dad calling. And, um, you know, he said, I don't know if you've seen any of the video um, of, of the crash site at Flight 93. He goes, but those hemlock trees are ours. And at that point, you know, my mouth sort of dropped open and I kind of stared at the machine a little bit like that. I just hear what I think I heard. Tim Lambert is a newsman from uh, from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and that day uh, he went straight to work and was reporting and working. Well, it turns out uh, that grove of hemlock trees that we uh, that I talked about, his family owned that property. His grandfather had purchased a big parcel a long time ago. They, they, he built some cabins on it. Uh, they never really did much with it. The property stayed in his family, got passed on to on to Tim. And he really never thought about it except when it came time to pay the tax bill. So now all of a sudden he has a personal connection to it. And uh, there are, I believe, are six property owners. And uh, so because it was their land, they had to be brought into the process. So the medical examiner invited him out and took him around and showed him everything. And, uh, you know, now he's in a position where he's not just covering the story, he's part of the story. How can you comprehend the odds of a national tragedy occurring on a piece of property basically in the middle of nowhere? It's not a piece of property, as you found out, driving to the memorial. It's not easy to get to. Um, it's easier now than it was 20 years ago. Um, but yeah, it just was one of those things where um, I'm a history buff. I, I, was, I lived and worked in Gettysburg for seven years. Um, so I was immersed in how the National Park Service works and, and history and um, it, it, it occurred to me that this was going to be a historic moment and it was going to be something that our family was going to be a part of moving forward. So, you know, a lot of thoughts went through my mind and of course the tragedy of, of having 40 people lose their lives on that very land that, you know, I was, you know, 
having a carefree youth in years before. So it was just a heavy weight that you felt and and you know you had to really think about how do we want to move forward to make sure that this land is going to be protected and make sure that these these 40 people are going to be honored and remembered for what they did. Tim Lambert is an award-winning journalist for the public radio station in Harrisburg, a good one, WITF. Tim's also a friend of mine who I've gotten to know over the years. But what I'm most proud of is how he made sure that his family did all in its power to make sure the National Park Service could forever use this land to honor those who died in Flight 93. Weeks back from his trip to Shanksville, I asked our reporter, Sean Adams, what is your lasting impression of of visiting Shanksville? And I assume you would recommend that those who have not been there go there. I think the the lasting impression is this. Uh, Shanksville is equally as important as the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. And the feeling uh, out there sometimes is that it gets overshadowed. Obviously, uh, the World Trade Center, just it's this, it was so large and so visible and so uh, uh, horrific. And the Pentagon, a symbol of our, our government, uh, again, so horrific. But what happened out in this field in Pennsylvania was equally as horrific um, and uh, no less important. It, it's, uh, and sometimes it is mentioned almost like an afterthought. Um, I even... Tim Lambert said he he read something once in a, in a newspaper and it said World Trade Center Pentagon and in parentheses a field in Pennsylvania. They want people to realize that what happened there was important and this is the reason why the people on board that plane made a decision basically in essence to sacrifice themselves to save other people and that is extremely heroic and uh, and it should be remembered. 880 In Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheld, are the executive producers. Dempsey Pilat helped put this week's show together. Subscribe to the show as a podcast for listening on your own time. Just search 880 In Depth wherever you get your audio. Thank you for listening. Be safe and never forget. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.